0: Second Corinthians 10 this morning, and trust you've had a good uh, time here at Southland this week, and uh, have a great day uh, planned as well today. And so hope you get uh, everything out of it today, and uh, just just go for it all. But to look at Second Corinthians chapter 10. Let's see what the Bible says in verse 3. The Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are carnal, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What I'd like to do this morning is I want to share a message entitled Shattering Sinful or Satan's Strongholds. And we're going to, all week long, we've looked at specific areas of our lives and, and areas where Satan builds strongholds. If you think about the preaching through, uh, throughout this week, uh, I dealt with the temptation of Christ, and we dealt with physical purity, and we talked about the fear of man. And, and we talked about peer pressure and we talked about the media and the things that our eyes look at and we dealt with the media and uh, and uh, and and things along those lines we talked about and the principles to, to live by we talked about a session on friends uh last night we talked about uh our tongues and we've just looked at several different areas and what i want to do this morning is i want to preach to the good kids in this room i want to preach for a few moments this morning to some young people in this room, you want to go home and you want to make a difference. Really, I want to preach to you about how you can have victory over any sin habit in your life. And so almost in a certain sense, if you were to come into my trailer, we would sit down on my couch, really these would be things I would share with you, how you can have victory over any sin habit in your life from start to finish. And I want us to take a look at, uh, we're going to take a look at several passages of scripture. I'll have those up on the, on the PowerPoint as well. But I want you to realize uh, this morning, really how you could go from failure to freedom. And you really can. And a lot of times there are certain uh, sin habits in your life. You think, you know what? I'm going to struggle with this to the day that I die. I'm never going to have victory. So why even try? And you know what the point is? There is not one patch of spiritual ground you ever have to surrender to Satan you can have victory in any area i don't care what it is do we not have a christ who is sufficient enough we do and he can give you victory in any area i don't care if it's pornography or if it's bitterness or anger or maybe if it's your music i don't care what it is you can have victory in every area of your life you can move from failure to freedom you can live for god you really really can and I want us to look at these passages of scripture as we consider this area of shattering Satan's strongholds. Father, would you help us this morning when I realize we come to the end of the week like this and maybe we're tired and, and, but Father, I pray you would give us grace this morning. Would you help us to understand this most important message that, Lord, we've been really uh, setting up for as we've progressed throughout the week? And I pray that you would uh, just do your wonderful work in hearts. Would you send strong conviction Lord, today, would you allow your word to make sense? Would you, Lord, just resonate the truth of your word with the hearts of the young people? Lord, give them hope, Lord, that they can go home and they can live for you. Lord, we do thank you for what you'll do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Really, I've enjoyed being with you this week. And uh, so what I did uh, yesterday is we went into Shareeport and uh, I went to the local Porsche dealer and to the local local, uh, Cadillac dealer and I struck a deal with them. And during chapel today, they're going to be delivering in the parking lot here at Southland. They're going to be delivering brand new porches and brand new Escalades. And uh, there's going to be a variety of different colors or trim packages. And uh, really, uh, you could go outside. You can pick whichever one you want. And if you could drive it home, it's yours. Now, you're going to say one of three things really today. Uh, you're going to say, well, number one, that dude is a rich evangelist. Or number two, that guy's lying. Or number three, he's using a hypothetical illustration, and it's the last. I'm not a rich evangelist, and I'm not lying, but this is my message. I can do what I want. So let's say after chapel, you go running out there, and you're like, oh, man, if I were you, I'd go for the Porsche. You know, you go running out there, like, oh, man, this is awesome, and and and, and, uh, and you go running out there, and maybe there's a convertible Porsche, and you just jump over uh, the door. You don't even open up the door, and you're laying down in that soft Italian leather. You're like, oh, man, this is awesome, you know, and you're kind of taking the gears, kind of going through the gears a little bit. Man, it's decked out. It's got everything, you know, uh, equipped with Bluetooth, satellite radio. The car's going to make you a latte if you want one. You know, I mean, it's just got everything there is to have on a car. And man, you're just like, oh, this is awesome. You reach down and turn the car on, but there's no keys in the car. You come back in and said, hey, preacher, what gives? You just told me, you'd give me a new car. I said, if you drive it home, it's yours. I never said I'd give you the keys. Now, I'm imagining, I would imagine after chapel here at Southland, we would have teenagers in the parking lot at Southland Christian Camp hotwiring Porsches. And if you know how to hotwire a Porsche, I'll talk to you after the service. Maybe I can learn and then I can get one. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but you know what? If you don't turn on the key and turn, or you don't turn the key and turn the engine on, you're not going to go anywhere. The car is going to stay parked right where it was the last time that the engine was on. What I'd like you to think about this morning, think about your life just like a car. And really what I'm gonna share with you this morning is I'm gonna share with you an engine truth. How do you get the engine on? There are two sides to your growth in Christ your sanctification, that's your growth in Christ. There is a divine side. God, God is the one that has to help you. You have to live the Christian life and the power of God, and you can't do it in your own strength. So there is a divine side, but there is a human side. God is not going to do for you what he expects you to do for yourself, and he's given you commands. And so there is a divine side, and there is a human side. It's like the same coin, but there's two sides to the same coin. What I want to share with you to begin with, I'm going to share with you the engine truth how do you turn the car on how do you get the engine going and then just like a car imagine if it were a stick shift and there were five different gears to that car by the way it's one of my favorite cars a porsche there and uh, your life is just like that car and it's got five different gears and so, I'm going to share with you five principles how to handle any sin problem. How many have ever driven a stick shift? Can I see your hand? Okay, there's a lot of you. I have a semi-truck that we pull our, uh, uh, that we pull our fifth wheel with, and our fifth wheel is 57 feet with our truck. We're 80 feet front to the back. I have 13 gears in my truck, and, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm already gone through seven gears by the time I get to 35 miles an hour, you know? I'd hate to think how many times I've shifted, and... Uh, but you know what, if you've ever driven a stick shift, you can go to gear one and then go to gear five, right? Yeah, you're going to stall out. You can't skip the principles. You need all five of them if they're going to work. And so I want to share with you what I like to call the engine truth. Just really to share with you how do you get the car, and this is the divine side of the Christian life, and even if there is one kid in this room that gets it, man, it's going to be worth the time that we have here this morning. You know what? I want you to see this engine truth. And we find this in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. Would you look back there at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. And most of these verses, I don't have it up there. But uh, I want you to read these verses in, uh, in, in Colossians chapter 2. Really a life transforming verse for me. The scripture says this. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You know what Paul is saying? There came a day, if, uh, if you're saved in the room, there came a day where you came to the jarring realization that you were lost that you were a sinner you broke god's law there was nothing you can do in order to merit heaven you were standing uh really facing the wrath of god and the judgment of hell and the lake of fire and there was nothing you could do to save yourself no work you could do you were utterly hopelessly lost so what did you do the only thing you could do you trusted in christ to be your savior as he therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And so you know what he's saying? So too there comes a day as a Christian that you come to the jarring realization that you can not live the Christian life in your own strength. That you can't do the good things in the Christian life that you want to do. And so you know, you know what you do? The only thing you can do, you trust in Christ to be your sanctifier. In other words, Paul is saying, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, he's saying the same way you got saved by faith and dependence on him is the same way you live the Christian life by faith and by dependence. The apostle Paul in the book of Romans says, the good things that I want to do, I don't do them. The bad things I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And it's just like Paul is frustrated with the Christian life. He throws in the white towel and he says, God, I just quit. And it almost is like God says, all right, Paul, now we can get somewhere. Because Paul now in Romans 8 learns what it is to be filled with the spirit, to be totally dependent on him, and to have the total domination and the control of God in his life. Now he doesn't struggle with this sin any longer. He learns total dependence. And even if one kid in this room, man, gets this, man, it'll be worth it. It is liberating. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength. You need him, but you know what kids do? in in, in sessions or after weeks like this you go home try to live the Christian life in your own strength and you know what it doesn't work and you fail and he said see it doesn't work and he just quit and he just give in Years ago, there was a lumberjack in the Pacific Northwest that worked in a logging camp. Over the weekend, he went into town, and he saw a hardware store, and there was a sign outside the hardware store that said, brand new invention guaranteed to cut down 10 times as many trees than your conventional axe. He thought, man, that's right in my alley. He walks in. The store owner said, dude, you're going to love this invention. You're going to come back for 100 of these after your boys see back at the logging camp what well, this thing is. He put on the counter the brand new invention called the chainsaw. Well, 100% money back, man, I guarantee it can't go wrong. So he bought the chainsaw, goes back to the logging camp filled with eagerness, excitement, anticipation, how this new invention was going to change everything. Well, the next weekend, the the lumberjack comes back into town, goes into the hardware store, throws that chainsaw up on the counter and says, man, you ripped me off. I want my money back. And the guy's thinking, no way, man. There's no way that's possible. He's like, I can't even cut down half as many trees with this piece of junk you call a chainsaw than I can with my ax. And the store owner's thinking, man, there's gotta be something wrong. So he says, I wanna see this thing. So he grabbed the chainsaw. You know, the spark plugs were fine. They were firing. Uh, you know, the gas and the oil uh, were mixed. It was a two cycle engine. You know, man, that's fine. The store owner, man, he couldn't figure it out. It's like, man, there's gotta be something wrong. He flipped the on switch. You know, those chainsaws have that little pull start, you know, kind of like the, uh, a lawnmower. And he pulled it run, run! and fired up the chainsaw, the lumberjack leans over the counter and said, what's that noise? This lumberjack went in the Pacific Northwest with all of these redwood trees. He never even turned the chainsaw on. He just started waving it like this, trying to chop down a redwood tree. And you know what? Of course it didn't work. And you know what? It wasn't designed to do that. He got frustrated and quit. And if that's what being a lumberjack was all about, man, I want to quit too. But you know what some of you kids do? You come to a week like this and you go home and you are filled with eagerness, excitement, anticipation of how God's gonna change everything at home. And you go back home to the redwoods of the sins of your lust or your bitterness or the sins of your tongue. And you know what? You try to chop down those sins and those redwoods of your sin with your own strength. It doesn't work, you fail, you get discouraged, and quit. And if that's what being a Christian was all about, I'd be frustrated too. But listen, you never turn the power on. We need to say, God, I can't do this. I need you. And you get connected to the power source and you live life by faith. Guess what? You're turning that chainsaw on. Now you can cut through those trees like a hot knife through butter. And now it works because now you're energized by the power of God. Dependence is the, is the engine truth. And listen, you can sit in that car of your life, and you can go through all the gears, you can hit the gas, and nothing is going to happen if the engine is not on. And so many people look at me after revival meetings and week like this, and they say, preacher, I tried it, and it just doesn't work. Well, what is it? It's not the Bible. Isaiah 40 says the strong and not one that faileth. The God God says, uh, it's not God, it's not the Bible, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, you heard a song about it last night, that the word does not return void to the purpose to which it is sent. You know what it is? It's us. And you go home and you say, I'm not going to do that sin. I'm not going to do that sin. I'm not going to do that sin. You know what you're going to do? You're going to do that sin. Listen, gang, God doesn't want your willpower. He wants your will. You can't do it. You need him. How many have a device, a smartphone, or a tablet at home? Can I see your hand? All right, how many of you can go through a month or two months without ever plugging your device in? Okay, all right, if you can do that, you're not using it very often. (laughs) All right, and then maybe somebody can do it. You know, the majority of us are like, yeah, man. Man. You can't go two months without plugging your phone in or your iPod in. You know, at some point you got to plug it in. Well, why do you think that you can make it and live for God without ever plugging into the power source? I and mean, then here you understand it. And anybody who ever did anything for God, they got this right. They realized, you know what, man, I can't do it. Uh, You know what, I need him. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, the book of Psalms says, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Paul looked at the Galatians. He said, oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? This one thing I want to know. Were you born again by the works of the law, or were you born again supernaturally by the power of God? And the obvious answer is, we were born supernaturally, born again by the power of God. And then he says, well, then why are you trying to live the Christian life in your own strength? Strength. And listen, dependence is the engine key. When you take maybe the area, maybe of meeting, and said, God, I have looked at some things and been involved in pornography and these things do not please you. Oh God, I've asked you to forgive me, but God, I can't break this stronghold in my life. God, I need you. You know what you just did? You just stuck the key in that Ferrari that you turn the key and now the the engine begins to rumble and as you hit the gas, now that 500 horsepower engine is just shaking the frame of the car and the car is just shaking from side to side and now you can really tell that there's some power there this is the engine true to the christian life but you know what some of you have done your spiritual car is parked the same place where it was last year when you got home yeah there's been a lot of effort you've been doing a lot of things but the engine wasn't on that's why you haven't gone anywhere you want to know how dependent you are how often do you read the bible how often do you pray taking the area maybe for media, God, I can't have victory in this by myself. My music or the websites that I've looked at or the movies in my life, you know what, God, I need you. I can't do this. I mean, that's the engine truth. But now that the car is on, and you can feel the frame of the car just shaking and rumbling, now I want you to see these five principles. Now you can really get somewhere. So you know what you do? Here's gear number one. You put it in the first gear. You pop the clutch. You slam on the gas. Now you're you're not going anywhere, but you know what? The wheels are spinning, and smoke is coming out from the back of the car, and the tires are getting all gummy, and then it gets traction, and to shoot off that block. And man, you're, uh, you're, you're hitting, uh, you know, 25, 30 miles an hour in first gear. And here really is gear number one. It's called repentance. And I'm going to give you a verse for every one of these principles. It's called repentance. The Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. And the operative words here are confess and forsake. You know what? Let's take the area, maybe a pornography or of your media. You know what, God? Lord, I can't have victory in this area of my life. God, I need you. And you're praying and you're reading the scriptures specifically about this area of your life. You know what? You know, you know what repentance is? God, this stuff is wrong. I don't want this in my life. God, I need you. Would you forgive me? The word confess in 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness is a Greek compound word. It's two Greek words put together to make one. The two words are homo meaning same, logos means word. You know what real confession is that restores fellowship with God? It's same word. In other words, it's saying the same thing about your sin that God says about it. It's taking sides with God against yourself. You know what, a lot of times we try to whitewash our sin and we try to make it look like we weren't as bad as we really were. I remember one kid, he walked out uh, of an invitation and I said, what is God dealing with you about? He goes, you know what, I just need to witness more. I said, do you need to get saved? He went, yeah, I'm glad I asked, you know. But you know what a lot of times teenagers do? That you, that you throw out a little respectable problem. It's like an iceberg. There's a little bit of the iceberg that's sticking out of the water, but 90% of it is under the water, and it's hidden. So you want to deal with this little part of your problem that's respectable, but you know what? It's like a smokescreen. There's this huge, massive problem underneath the water. Man, you got to just get honest with God. You know what, God? That pornography is wrong, and I'm wrong for doing it. You know what, God, that attitude I had to my mom and dad was wrong, and I'm wrong for doing it. Now, God, I'm, uh, I feel, I'm sorry for how they feel about that, and they shouldn't feel that way. That's not repentance. It's taking with sides, sides with God against yourself. There was an old blacksmith. He got saved by the grace of God in a revival meeting many, many years ago, and uh, And his friends thought, no way this guy will ever change, no way this guy could ever change. He cursed like a sailor. He was known for his cursing all throughout town and they thought, no way that guy found God. So his friends decided to go down to the blacksmith shop on Monday morning. And as soon as this, they'd wait outside. And as soon as he would curse, they would run in, throw it in his face and said, see, we proved it. You can never change. And so this lumberjack, lumberjack, the uh, the blacksmith came in at about eight o'clock. Sure enough, by 8.15, he brought down a large hammer right on his thumb. And he just let out a blue streak. He cursed up one side, down the other. If there's anything that'll test your sanctification, it's hitting your thumb with a large hammer. His friends were delighted. They threw open the door, they ran in, but you know what they found? They found an old blacksmith doubled over and the sawdust, and he was weeping. And he says, oh God, I never want to curse again. God, that's wrong. And I'm wrong for doing it. God, would you forgive me? Oh, God, I never want to curse again. God, that's wrong, and I'm wrong for doing it. God, would you forgive me? That's 1 John 1, 9 confession. That restores fellowship with God. Here's a question. When was the last time you had a session like that with him? Some of you went out in the dining hall after the messages, and maybe some of you had that. That's confession, two ideas in repentance is admitting your sin and abandoning it. Confess and forsake. God, I'm wrong for doing that. God, would you forgive me? But I don't want that in my life anymore. Abandoning your sin is not, oh God, would you forgive me? And I'm gonna go commit this sin. I was preaching in Mobile, Alabama. A guy looked at me, says, Ron, I was so drunk and high. Two weeks ago, I don't even know where I was. But he says, I'll tell you how I got there. Last year, I got right with God about music in my life. I had 20 CDs that did not honor God. I threw away 19 of them, but I kept one. He said that one CD brought me right back into the same lifestyle. You know what? He didn't abandon his son. Listen, if you struggle with pornography, it's not going to help for you to have a device that's on your nightstand with full Wi Fi capability you can go to any website you want without any accountability that's not going to help you of course you're going to go back to it you're making provision for your sin that's not abandoning your sin and we're going to take a look at that in just a minute you know what oh god forgive me for some of the things that i've done with my girlfriend or my boyfriend but you continue to date you continue to get alone with each other of course you're going to go right back to it it's not abandoning your sin that's you just feeling guilty and you salve your conscience and say God would you just forgive me and I just want to keep doing what I'm going to do and that's not repentance it's a change of mind God I don't want this in my life anymore and you know what most of you you got self-destructive sinful habits that the devil has built in your life and most of you you know what really if you're saved you don't want them there but you don't know how to beat it. You know what the first step is? It's repentance. God, I don't have enough strength to deal with this bitterness or this anger or this pornography or my music. You know what, God? I need you. I'm going to be in your word every day. God, I'm praying. God, I need you to help me. That's dependence. God, this, this, uh, this anger and bitterness is wrong, and I'm wrong for doing it. God, would you forgive me? I don't want this in my life anymore. That's repentance. And so now... As you put in, you know what? I just got to do something real quick here. So now you're going to put in the gear, and now you're going to go. Now you're going to go to. And now you're going to go to uh, and now you're gonna go to, uh, to our second, to our second principle. Hang on a second. Sorry. Alright, so now you look at our second principle. Oh, you know what? That's not right either. Hang on a second. Sorry. This just take a second. gonna be a little bit different on the platform there okay it's going to look just a little bit different. But we come to our second, uh, here's the second gear, and it's called restitution. And notice what Paul said, Here I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. It kind of can't see because it it's in the red, but it says toward God and toward man. You know what restitution is? You know what? It's not just enough for you to be right with God, but you know what Paul said? This is how I exercise my conscience to be right with every person on the face of this planet. In other words, for you to make your sin right with whoever your sin affected. To have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Let's say that you have that pornography in your life and your mom and dad don't want you to have pornography in your life and they've laid some rules down against it and you know that that would displease them. You know what? You're not gonna be right with God until you go back and make it right with a mom and dad. Hey, you cheated in school. You're never gonna be right with God until you go back to that teacher and you make it right with them. I was preaching in Hawaii several years ago, and there's a guy that came forward, and God was dealing with him. His name was Seth. He said, every summer, my family and I, we leave Hawaii. We go back to West Virginia. And secretly, in my mind, I'm thinking, what would possess anybody to leave Hawaii and go to West Virginia for a month? But, you know, to each his own, you know? And uh, and he says, I get involved with the wrong crowd, the drinking, the immorality, the drugs. And I said, let me guess. You prayed to God a thousand times for him to forgive you, and it still doesn't feel right. He says, yeah, how'd you know? I said, Seth, your mom and dad will let you look at pornography, be immoral, do drugs, drink. He said, no, they've told me never to do that stuff. I said, have you ever made it right with them? And he just looked at the floor. There are some of you, you prayed to God a thousand times for him to forgive you, but you've never made it right with whom your sin affected and who you sinned against. You know, Jesus made another statement here in Matthew chapter 5. He said, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath thought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. That has the idea of someone is sacrificing at the altar and, and for sin and they remember that they have something wrong with somebody else, he says, leave the gift, go find that guy, make it right with them, then you can come back. You know what he's saying? You have to be right with whoever your sin affected. Now, the 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 scope of your sin determines the scope of its confession. Listen guys, it doesn't help you to walk up to some girl and says, you are really pretty, I lusted after you. That doesn't help her, that doesn't help anybody. That was a private sin and that's not something that you need to talk about uh, really with that person. But you know what, if I were to get up here and says, you know what, my curbster is an absolute moron. The director of this camp, he is a jerk. You wouldn't believe the things that he says behind other people's back. And I just stood up here and just ripped him up one side, down the other, slandered him, gossiped him. Now, none of those things are true that I just said, but you know what? it wouldn't be enough for me to walk out of the building and said, hey, Mike, you know what? I said these things about you, and I want you to forgive me. Because the scope of my sin was public. I slandered his testimony to you. I need to come back to you, and I need to make that right. But it's not enough for you just to be right with God. You need to be right with the people that you sinned against. Hereunto, I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God. And me. And you know what that means? There's some kids in this room, you're never going to be fully right until you go back home and you make some things right with a mom and dad. And you know I'm shooting it straight. With some of the things you've done behind their back, you know they don't want you to do. You say, Ron, if I tell them what I've done, I'm going to be in trouble. You're already in trouble. These are steps on the way out. You know, I remember I high school, God broke me. I told my mom things that you would be embarrassed to tell your mother. But you know what? I was never gonna be right with God until I made it right with him. You have gotta have restitution. It was in a meeting not long ago and a girl stood up. She says, listen, if you're not right with your parents, you need to make that right as soon as you can. My mom died last week. I've got so many things that I need to make right with her. But she's gone and I can never do that now. Don't waste your time, she said. If there is something that is not right, listen, you know, know well, how long you have with each other. You've got to make it right now, and I'm going to be carrying these burdens and these weights. Now, obviously, God knows that she can make some things right with her mom that she wants to, and, and certainly God understands that, and he knows that. Who is it this morning that you need to make some things right with? Have you stolen something you have something in your possession that doesn't belong to you and it belongs to somebody else and you not only need to ask God to forgive you, but you need to return it and make it right? Have you stolen from a store? Have you cheated in school? You need to make it right with that teacher. You never fully be right with God. There's one lady in a revival meeting. She got saved by the grace of God, but you know what she was struggling with? She accused her boyfriend of raping her. Her boyfriend never touched her. She was so mad and angry at him, she used that allegation and the legal system as a tool of revenge against her boyfriend. They took him, convicted him. She gave a testimony, uh, you know, in court. They convicted him and sent him to jail. And you know what she was struggling with all week long? He's in jail because I lied. I'm a Christian now. And the Spirit of God was convicting her about it. She goes, you know what, man, but if I make that right, they're going to take him out of jail. They're going to throw me in jail. That guy's a jerk. He deserves to be in jail. He he didn't do anything wrong, unnecessary to be worthy of jail. But she tried to rationalize it, and all week long, she was wrestling. Finally, at the end of the week, she thought, I'd rather be behind physical bars than be behind the bars of my conscience. She went back to the authorities. She says, you know what? I'm a Christian. I got saved by the grace of God this week, and God is dealing with me that I need to make this right, and I need to tell the truth. That man never touched me. I lied under oath. He never touched me. He never raped me. They did exactly what she thought. They brought him out of prison. They put her in prison, but do you realize she is out of jail this morning, right with God, God's power on her life, God greatly using her. It's called restitution. Restitution. Evangelist John Getch, many years ago, he, uh, he he was in a meeting and he was preaching and nothing happened in the meeting. It was Thursday of that week. Nobody gotten saved. Nobody got right with God. I mean, it was just like preaching to a wall. He was in a park across the street and he said, God, what's going on this week? God, is it me? And as soon as he said, is it me? That one thing came up Have you ever prayed to God, show me anything in my life that doesn't please you and that one thing keeps coming back up? You know that one thing you're afraid to make right and you kind of rationalize it away and you just kind of throw it in the prison of your past. You know what it was for John? He had cheated, I think it was in a Greek class, on a test. And God was convicting him that he needed to make that right. Well, I would have made an A anyway, or whatever this rationalization was. And maybe he could have got, got kicked out of Maranatha uh, where he went to school. Maybe he got a, got, could have gotten kicked out for that. So he just threw it under the carpet. But you know what? He was trapping himself in the prison in the past. Finally, year after year, for a couple of years, God was dealing with a bow Then says, you know what? Man, I am tired of running. I don't care what it takes. I need to get right. He went inside of the church. He got on the phone. He called his professor at Maranatha Baptist Bible College, now university now. And he said, hi brother and so and so this evangelist john gets you goes oh john how you doing he said well i'm in a revival meeting and i need your help he said sure anything i can do he said i had you for a class i remember that you did very well he said god's convicted me about this many times and i've been afraid to make this right but i am tired of running i have got to make this right he said i cheated on that final exam or on that test he said i'm prepared To return my diploma to the school. I am prepared to return to the school and retake the class. I'll do whatever I need to do, but I've got to make this right. He took care of things with the school on the phone, and there were some consequences. He walked into the service, he started to preach, and after 10 minutes, it was almost like the Spirit of God said, John, shut your Bible, get out of the way. He, He said, This has never happened to me ever since in my ministry. He preached 10 minutes, he shut his Bible. He gave the invitation, and the people responded for over an hour. Walking an old-fashioned aisle, people getting saved, people getting right with God, and you hear me, God blew that meeting wide open because there was one. It was him who said, God is it me, and he was just willing to make restitution. And you know what? The power came back. Listen, I realize what I'm telling you, it's not easy. In fact, you know why God makes it hard for you to go back and make some things right with your mom and dad, a teacher, or maybe even the law? Because when you're tempted to do it again, you'd be like, that was a train wreck the last time. That's the last thing I want to go through again. And it'll keep you from doing that same sin again. That's why he makes it so hard. But there are some of you, you are covering sin right now. And you can pray to God a thousand times. But you know what? If you're not making restitution, you're not fully right. Who is it that you need to go back and you need to make some things right with when you get home? Maybe some of you need to call a mom and dad, maybe even today. God, I don't have enough strength and power to conquer pornography in my life or anger or bitterness. God, I need you to help me. God, these things are wrong, and I'm wrong for doing it. I don't want these in my life. Mom, dad, I've been involved in pornography, or I've been so angry and bitter at you, and God has convicted me about this. This is wrong, and I, I've asked God to forgive me, and I'm asking you to forgive me, and I need to make this right. That's restitution, but boy, now you come to gear number three. You put the, the clutch in. You put it in gear three. You pop the clutch. You're doing 60 miles an hour. You pop the clutch slam on the gas. You're laying rubber in third gear at 60 miles an hour. The back of the car, fishtails to the side. You're doing everything you can to keep it on the road. Man, you're really flying now. You've got some speed. And you know what? Here is the third principle. It's called radical amputation. Radical amputation. And here are the verses in Matthew chapter 5 and 29 and 30. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now listen, God's not telling you to pluck out your eye or physically cut your hand off. There was one preacher, he was preaching on this passage. He was preaching the paint off the walls, if you know what I mean. He was just going to town. He said, if you're right, I offend thee, pluck it out. He had a glass eye. He reached and took it out and he rolled it down the center aisle of the church. They're like, that dude means business. Man, he's not fooling around. All right, it's not telling you to go home and to cut and be involved in cutting and do all that stuff. You know what it's saying? Listen, here's the simple principle. Jesus is saying, make it impossible to commit that same sin again. Years ago, Aaron Ralston, true story, was backpacking in a Utah canyon and an 800-pound boulder came collapsing down, pinning his hand to the canyon wall. He was trapped there for a number of days without food and water. Tom Brokaw did a documentary on this. Later, Hollywood did a movie, 127 Hours, on this true story. But he was pinned to that canyon wall. He couldn't free himself. There were days without food, without water. He probably etched his social security number into the rock where he was trapped because uh, after the wild animal, he died, and after they ate him, you know, they didn't know who, who, who that was there. And, and so he might as well tell him. Finally, he re, after 127 hours, many of those without food or water, days that he reached a point of desperation he's never known before. He took out his pen knife, sharpened it on the canyon wall, and he started to cut through his own arm. He said, cutting the flesh away, that was the easy part. He came down to the bone, and there was the nerve that was right next to the bone. He would touch the nerve. He was like, fire just shot up my arm. He gritted his teeth, he cut that nerve. And then there are two bones in your wrist that connect your arm to your hand. Using his body weight as leverage, he fell back and it snapped those two two bones. But now he was free. He had already gotten everything he needed uh, that was in his backpack that was on his person. Immediately, he still had his mind about him. Immediately, he put on a tourniquet so he wouldn't bleed out, but he was still bleeding profusely. He knew that his time was limited now. And so he walked uh, to the end of the canyon. There was an 80-foot drop. He was an excellent climber. He rappelled 80 feet down with only one hand. Tom Brokaw on MSNBC, he went back, and they did a documentary on this. Tom Brokaw is trying to rappel over the edge. He's like, man, I can barely do this with two hands. I can't imagine doing it with only one and the other bleeding profusely. Aaron Ralston made it to the, to the canyon floor. He began the eight-mile trek back to his truck. He was one mile away from the truck and 25% of the blood of his body had already left. At that point, anyone involved in the medical profession, they'll tell you that your vital organs begin to shut down. This guy was a walking corpse. He bumped into some people. They looked at him. They say, are you Aaron Ralston? He says, yeah. He said, the whole state is looking for you. The the National Guard is out looking for you. It's been out all over the TV. They called the authorities on the phone. A helicopter landed not long after. They got Aaron Ralston. They took him to the hospital. They did immediate surgery. And you know what? His life was spared. He just said, you know what, Ron? That's radical. Cutting off your hand. Yeah, but he lived. And you know what some of you do? And for you to live spiritually when you go home, you know what? If you can't control the internet, guess what? You need to hand your parents, your tablet, your smartphone, your computer, and not get online for two months. That means no Instagram, that's no Twitter, that's no social media, that's you not getting online for two months. You say, Ron, that's radical. Yeah, but you live. Don't worry, you'll make it. I went to college before Al Gore invented the internet. You can live, it's possible. You know what, if you can't control your music, just unstash the radio uh, and leave bare wires hanging in your dash in your car. You say that's radical. Yeah, but you know what, you're gonna live. Some of you, you and God are the only ones that know what you watch on the TV that is in your room. You know what you need to do? Unplug it, get it out of your room. You know what? And not watch it for two months. You say, that's radical. Yes, but you live. Make it impossible to do that same sin again. Listen, if there's a rattlesnake that's right on your nightstand and you're like, okay, rattlesnake, no, don't bite me, and you just turn off the light and go to bed. You know what? In the morning, your alarm goes off. You hit the snooze button. That wasn't the snooze button. That thing bites you. You know, you're, oh, of course it's gonna bite you. You know what? If you've got a rattlesnake that's coiled up rattling on your nightstand about two feet away from you? You know what you're gonna do, man? You're gonna get it out. Why don't you do that with your son? Man, you got the junk maybe that's sitting right there on your nightstand with the internet, and with the pornography, and all that stuff, you know, or maybe you're hanging out with the wrong crowd, you know what, make it impossible to commit that same sin again, stop hanging out with that crowd, you're in a dating relationship, and some things have gone on that have not honored God, you ought to break it off today, you know it in your heart, kind of hard to fool around, when you're not hanging out with each other, I was preaching down in Florida, in Fort Myers, Florida, Christian school of over 600, there was a guy that walked out, as I was giving the invitation, he walked out to his car, he smashed over six hundred dollars worth of music and you should have seen the smile on his face he says now i'm free it's called radical amputation get it out make it impossible to commit that same sin again kind of hard to listen to a cd within in a thousand pieces now if you have an ipod or you have a device you don't need to smash that and destroy it but you know what give it to your mom and dad you need or wipe it clean you know what it's called radical amputation i was I, after i preached at a camp there was a pastor that called me on Monday after the camp was over. And he said, Ron, what in the world did you do to those kids? And I thought, where is this going? He said, they came home and they wanted to have a testimony service on Sunday morning. He said, at times they've asked to do that. And so I, uh, I put a little garbage can, you know, there on, on, the, uh, on, on the platform of the church. He said, Ron, when I asked the young people to come forward, if they had any testimonies, He said, they brought so much sinful junk, we filled two 55-gallon drums, full of pornography, full of wicked movies, all kinds of stuff. And one by one, they gave testimony how God was delivering them from the strongholds that was in their life the middle of that service, one, one old man, he stood up, he walked all the way to the front, he reached into his front pocket, he pulled out a pack of Marlboro cigarettes, and he said, if God can deliver these young people from their vice, I know he can deliver me, and he threw it in. One by one, some of the adults started to stand up and they came down to the altar and they started getting right with God and God blew that thing wide open. He said, Ron, you should have been there. I was having lunch at my house. After the service, there was a girl that knocked on my door. She's 23 years old. She says, I was in that service this morning and I saw what God was doing and God broke me. And you know what? I have been in a wrong relationship. I need you to come help me kick this guy. I'm not even married to kick him out of my apartment. And you know what? I need to get saved. God is dealing with me. And God blew blew that thing wide open. You know why they had freedom? It was called radical amputation. When people got saved in the book of Acts, the Bible says they burned their book of curious arts. It was a year's wage to buy one of those books. And you know what they said? God has delivered me. I don't want to go back to that. And they would burn it. Now, listen, if you have something in your possession that's causing you to sin and it's your friends, listen, you need to give it back to them. Don't burn and destroy your friend stuff. But listen, if you've got wicked stuff that is causing you to sin and it's yours, don't give it to somebody else. That's like giving the rattlesnake on your nightstand to your neighbor. All right. That's not going to help him either but it's called radical amputation. Do whatever it takes not to commit that same sin. Again, listen, there are some stores that I don't go into. For some of you, it would be perfectly fine. I don't go in there because I know my own heart. And here's the point. I may have to radically amputate something that you don't have to. You may have to radically amputate something that I don't have to, but you know your own heart. You know how you're tempted. You know how you get involved in your sin. Make it impossible to commit that same sin again again, it's called radical amputation. Boy, you put it into gear number four, you're hitting 100 miles an hour. Now your car really is going somewhere. It's called remove, renew, replace. Remove, renew, replace. And here are the verses in Ephesians 4 22, 23, and 24. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and put on and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's kind of hard to see because it's red, but it says, put off, be renewed in your mind, and put on. It's remove, renew, replace. To help illustrate this, uh, one time I had Abigail when she was a girl, and I was was throwing her up in the air and I was catching her. And she would kind of laugh and giggle. She was just a little girl. And I would throw her up in the air again and I would catch her and she would laugh and giggle and I threw her up again and when I caught her the contents of her stomach said, "Watch out, man, I'm coming out." And she threw up right in my mouth. I mean, this was the grossest thing I've ever been involved in. It was like projectile bombing. Not one drop on the ground. It's like, you know, I mean, It's like warm, rancid. There's chunks just flowing down. Man, I put her down. I spit it out. I swallowed a bottle of Listerine, you know what? And I mean, it was great. Now, here's what I didn't do. She barfed all over my shirt, all over my pants. I didn't say, "Hey, I'm going to go cruise the mall." And I started going out in the mall. Hey, man, what's going on? You know? Hey, how's it going? These flies are following me all throughout the mall. I go into a I go into a to a store and I buy a pair of socks. And he's like, "Dude, you need a new shirt too." You know? Oh, that's a chunk. I'm saving it for later. You know? And, uh, and and you know why I didn't do that? Because it was gross. It was disgusting. You know what I did? I took my shirt off, put it off. I put it in the washing machine, washed it, and I got a new shirt. And I put that on. It's remove, renew, replace. You know what? Get the junk out of your life. That's radical amputation. That's repentance. That's abandoning your sin. Get it out, destroy it, make it impossible to commit that same sin again. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is what we're talking about after Matthew chapter four. It's called memorization and meditation of the word and mastering it. You know what? You struggle with pornography, five verses on pornography, memorize them. Write them on a note card. Ask your counselor. So they'll be able to help you find verses. You know what? You struggle with bitterness and anger. Five verses on that. You struggle with your attitude to your mom and dad. Five verses on that. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Four times the New Testament says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Three of the times the spirit of God is the direct object. You know what that means? He is the one who does it. And listen, you got to get the word into your heart, into your mind, and wash out this junk and be renewed. You know the Bible says? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where the key is. you got to be programmed. That's Philippians 4.8. You know, think on these things. You want your mind programmed to what the word of God says, not what the world says. Garbage in equals garbage out. But you get the word of God in that will actually change you remove, renew, replace. This is why you memorize scripture while you're here. We want to get you into that habit, but then it says replace, and this is important. You know how many times I threw away my rock music? I was even in Bible college, and I would go right back to it over and over and over again. You know why? I never replaced it. Your life is like a vacuum. If you take something out, it's going to suck something back in. Listen, if you stop hanging out with the wrong kind of friends, memorize five verses on friends, you've got to start hanging out with the right friends or you're going to go right back to the old ones. You throw away music out of your life, memorize five verses on music. If you don't replace it with godly music, that's why you go right back to the wrong music. That's why here we have a ton of godly music in the bookstore. That's why, you, that's why they do that. Man, download it, there's a lot of godly music that you can find. Your counselor would love to help you with that. You've got to replace it, because if you never replace it, you're going to go right back to it. You know what? Stop using the time watching the movies that are wrong and the pornography. Replace that time with doing something that's godly. You've got to replace it. Do you get what I'm telling you? Remove, renew, replace. You know, what? again, whole messages could be preached on each one of these. But now you're in gear number five. Man, now you're hitting 180, 190. The front of the car, obviously, you're on the Autobahn. Uh, at the front of your car, you know, is coming up off of the ground. You've got to tap the brakes and get it back down. I mean, you're really cruising now. Notice gear number five is called rebuke, simply accountability. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 and you know, in our, in our scripture here, um, it talks about having accountability. And it talks about uh, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he not another to help him up. Imagine if you're at the Grand Canyon and the trail gives way, and you grab onto a root branch and you're hanging there, and now it's a mile drop down. Woe to him that is alone. <laughs> Man, how much better is it if there's somebody there to give you a hand and to help you up? Boy, and if you have three, that's even better. Notice what it continues to say. Again, if two lie together, then, ha- then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? My brother-in-law, he lives in Fairbanks, Alaska. You know what the military teaches you in Arctic Survival? The very first thing <clears throat> that you got to do is that you got to get out of the elements. You got to build a shelter, get out of the wind, But if you have two of you, you huddle together because you can work off each other's body heat. Your chances of survival are very low if you're by yourself, but your chances of survival multiply exponentially if there's another person with you. And that's that's what the scripture is saying. It's saying if two lie together, then they have heat. And and how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. You know what? In other words, if you're in some fight and one guy is winning the fight, man, if you've got somebody else that jumps into the fight, man, two is always better than one and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know what we're talking about? Accountability. Let's say that you struggle with music or let's say that you, uh, and uh, and you know what? You go to your youth pastor and said, you know what? God had dealt with me about my music this week. I can't do this in my own strength. I need God. I've been in his word. I've been praying. I'm asking God to help me. I don't want that wrong music in my life. I've asked God to forgive me. I don't want it in my life anymore. I've gone back to my mom and dad. I've been going behind your back, listening to music and doing some things that do not honor. You've told me not to do this. I've asked God to forgive me. I need you to forgive me. You've taken your iPod, you've wiped it clean, you've thrown out some of your other music that you know doesn't honor God. You know what? You've memorized five verses about music. I've actually replaced and loaded my iPod or my device with godly music. And you know what, youth pastor, I just want you to keep me accountable. You know what? Every Wednesday would you ask me how I'm doing? Man, you're going to have to break out a defibrillator to resuscitate a man off his floor of his office. He's like, "Praise God, half the work's already done." I remember when I was in seminary. I had an accountability partner and, uh, and you know what? He would call me every Tuesday and you know what would happen when you're tempted to do that sin? You think, you know what? My accountability partner is going to call me. Either I'm going to have to lie or not answer the call or tell him what I've done. Man, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do it. And and you know what? Having accountability helps. Two are better than one. Now listen, your accountability partner doesn't need to be someone that's your own age that struggles with the same thing because now you're not good for each other. All right, you need an older, more spiritually mature person that has navigated these waters before that can help you. You know the thing with pornography? You say, God, I'm never gonna do that again. It is very rare ever somebody ever gets victory by themselves. You need accountability. You need help. You need somebody asking you the hard questions. Hey, what did you look at last week on your computer? Hey, have you looked at pornography in the last two days? You need someone asking you the hard question. You know what kids say all the time? You say, mom and dad, you know what? I just need privacy. I don't mean to be unkind, but there's not one teenager in this room outside of hygiene and getting dressed that you need privacy you know what you're really telling your mom and dad? Let me just have this area of my life where I don't have any accountability. And you know what? It's a help. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor and a threefold cord. You know what? It's not quickly broken. You need that accountability that is in, you need that accountability that is in, in your life. You know, as we look through these steps again, let's just walk through these and take one of these, one of these, uh, one of these scenarios. Let's say it's anger and bitterness. You know what, God? I've got anger and bitterness in my life. I can't beat it. God, I need you. And you know what? There are some of you, you can't forgive somebody else without the help of God. But you know what, God? I need you. And you're in his word. That's dependence. Now the power really is flowing. You know what? God, I don't want this anger and bitterness in my life. It's wrong, and I'm wrong for doing it. You go back to the person you're angry and bitter against. You know what? I've been so angry and bitter at you. God has convicted me. I've asked God to forgive me. I'm asking you to forgive me. Remove, radical amputation, make it impossible to commit that same sin again with anger and bitterness. Maybe there's just certain places you need to avoid going or maybe there's just certain scenarios you need to avoid uh, being in. Uh, You know, maybe because that tempts you to be angry and tempts you to be bitter. Uh, uh, You know, remove, renew, replace. You know what, how you, you know how how you, how you memorize five verses on anger and bitterness, you know how you replace it? Pray for that person. Find five ways to serve them. Or to do five acts of kindness to them throughout the week. Or you pray for them regularly. You know what? And then you get accountability. You get someone that's asking, hey, how are you doing with anger and bitterness? You know what? Maybe it's pornography. God, I can't deal with this in my own strength. God, I need you. It's too hard for me. You know what, God? I don't want this in my life anymore. It's wrong, and I'm wrong for doing it. Mom, Dad, I've been looking at some stuff that doesn't matter. God, it has not honor what you've told me to do. I need to make it right with you. You know what? You get it out of your life. You, 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 you wipe the iPad cleaner, the computer cleaner, you give those devices to your parents, you don't get online, you know, for two months, or however long it takes, you memorize five verses about your eyes, and about the things that you look at, and about your heart, and then, and then you replace that time with doing godly things, or reading the scriptures, or reading other books, you know what, and then you get some, and then you get some accountability with your youth pastor, he asks you the question about your pornography, listen, I know that these principles work. Not only because they're in the scripture, because I've seen God change my own life. And any time I sin, you know what I do? I run through these five. It's all in the scripture, and I run through these five. You can have freedom. You can go from failure to freedom, but some of you have some work to do when you go home. And you're a kid in this room that says, well, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want. Listen, you're going to be a statistic. You're going to have strongholds and the devil's going to destroy your life. But listen, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're spiritual, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You can have victory, but some of you have some spiritual homework to do when you go home. And can I just say this as the last thing? If you need to make some things right with a mom and dad or somebody else or a store or a teacher... Don't do the old Band-Aid thing where you just kind of peel it off slowly. You know what's a lot better? Just rip it off. Do it immediately. Because I'm telling you, as soon as you walk out these doors, the devil's going to give you 112 reasons why you don't need to do it. But I'm telling you, it's life-changing and it's liberating. And you can't have victory. How to shatter Satan's strongholds. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that you would speak to hearts Lord, I pray that you would give them great freedom. Lord, would you identify some steps that they need to take today? Lord, would you help them to take those steps? As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I'm not necessarily going to ask you to come.